0: This is 101.5 UMFM. This is 393, the radio program of Studio 393, a satellite of graffiti art programming. This week we have an interview with Haviah Mighty, recently long-listed for the 2019 Polaris Prize, member of the sorority also. Also, we changed the name of the show to Broken Headphones on 101.5 UMFM.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to 393 for 101.5 UMFM. My name's Joshua Waltman and I just had the pleasure of interviewing the incredibly talented Haviah Mighty. I had a great time recording it, and I hope you all enjoy. Let's get into it.
2: Uh, that's H A V I A H M A M I G H T Y Haviah Mighty.
1: Cool, awesome. So, uh, how are you?
3: I'm not bad. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right. Um, So, I understand that you've been back and forth between Toronto and Brampton a lot. Um, Where do you identify yourself as as being from?
2: Um, Yeah, it's kind of a mixture. It definitely changes, but uh, I'm born in Toronto and raised in Brampton, so I kind of identify with both areas.
1: Okay. And
2: I lived in Toronto for the first eight years of my life. So like I definitely am a Torontonian, but, you know, basically nine and up, I was in Brampton, which is when you kind of start to formulate your own ideologies and kind of find yourself. And so because of that, I really also do identify with growing up in Brampton.
1: Okay, cool. So what was that experience like then uh, growing up in, in Brampton?
2: The experience growing up in Brampton, to me, was extremely positive, especially compared to my experience growing up in Toronto, which it just wasn't that great. Uh, I experienced a lot of systematic racism uh, when I was in Toronto. And I don't think I necessarily knew that that's what it was, uh, because I didn't know what systematic racism looked like. Uh, But a lot of the things my parents have done or felt they had to do, uh, including moving to Brampton. I know is directly as a result of how they felt that their kids were being treated in schools and how that would impact their education. And um, so Brampton for me, I just was a lot less sheltered. I was able to go outside. I was able to ride my bike. I was able to make friends. These were things I didn't know that was innate to being a youth and Mm -hmm. natural and normal. It was just something that I wasn't experiencing in Toronto. Um, So it was just a lot more freedom and I was able to kind of, find myself a little bit more by hanging out with people other than the people that are in my family.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, It's very much reflected in my education as well, where when I was in Toronto, my grades were pretty poor, like C's and D's. I was uh, told that I needed anger management. There was a lot of things that I was told in terms of what I would need to work on, what I would need to do. Um, but when I moved to Brampton, I was deemed gifted in a very short period of time. Uh, I was given a test that I excelled at, and I had an IEP. I had extra projects. I had an extra class every day. And that carried through to grade 12. And so I think for me, like just kind of like that validation of having self-worth, that came from the move. And I think that that's a big part of my journey because a lot of what I do is trying to encourage other people that they, too, have worth. And, um, yeah, so I don't know that I would feel that way, feel so strongly about that, or even be able to identify with my own worth had I not had the opportunity to truly experience it. And I know, like, when growing up in Toronto, for example, like, the education system and the way that I was treated and the way that I was viewed, it took a lot of stuff away from me. For example, I was in French immersion, and I was removed from French immersion, not because I couldn't. Do it, but because the teacher deemed me unable to do it, and I had a lot of issues with this particular teacher as well. So it was little things like that where the school is not going to bat for you because the teacher is not going to bat for you. So everybody is now deeming you something like what 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 what's wrong with you, uh, and the teacher was the only one in the room that could really truly indicate that, and she made sure to to indicate to everyone else that you know I wasn't going to be able to pick up on it and this and that and in order to i guess alleviate things you know uh we just moved me to another class with another teacher who was not in the french immersion program and that negatively impacted me Uh, to this day i wish i had that education my personality is very much a go-getter like if i'm given something let's do it um i think i was like that then and i'm definitely like that now um so i do think my beginning uh is I started off in a way where had I continued along that path, I do think it could have had a lot more negative impacts on how free-spirited, uh, go-getter um, and forward-thinking
1: I am. So you would you equate feeling um, like the, the negative experiences with like Toronto being having worse systemic racism than than Brampton.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't say that as a blanket statement because I can't say that uh, definitively. But I grew up in an area, I think, uh, I don't know what the area is called. Well, the area is like a little complex. It was called 56 Walpole. It was off uh, Greenwood and Gerrard. So I don't know where, where that area went when I was growing up was very low class but very white. Like it wasn't, it it was a ghetto, but it wasn't a black ghetto. So we were the only black family or black anything in that area. And I think it had a lot to do with it. I think, you know, when it comes to like danger and like physical harm, you know, my parents probably tried to ensure we weren't in areas that were known for that because they had four daughters and, you know, you just, you know, you don't want someone to pick your daughters up off the street or something like that. So I think... They maybe picked the lesser of two evils. I don't don't know exactly what led to them being there, but obviously we weren't rich. So it wasn't a great area. Um, And I think just how white the area was and how low-class the area was, the combination of those two things, and then seeing, like, a family, like, a black family with mom and dad, like, these things that you generally don't expect to see, especially if you have negative things to say about black people, you're going to assume— it's a broken family, this and that. So to see a a very together, like, dark-skinned family with dreads, four daughters, mom and dad in the home, and then, like, you know, we were always going out for, like, these music competitions. So we would go out in our little dresses, and my dad would ride us around the area, like, in his little bike had this thing on the back that he attached, and we would all sit in it. And, you know, it was just obvious that we were just, like, a young family, and I think for some people who know what they were going on, like, what was going on in their lives, these people didn't have a lot. Um, yeah. They probably didn't feel like they were worth a lot. And so it was just easy for them to, I guess, troll. We used to have the cops called all the time on on us for the piano being too loud to the point where the police stopped coming because it was a waste of their time. Uh, you know, I'd say the more dangerous things that I remember, I can't speak on everything because I was, like, four or five. Yeah. Um, but the things that I do remember that were probably the biggest triggers and were probably largely responsible for us moving was just like bricks going through the window and the Edward being shouted. Like that happened a few times that I can actually remember um, just waking up out of my sleep at three and you hear the brick and you hear the, the shouting and stuff like that. So I think when it started to get like that, that's when my parents were like, okay, like we got to go. But that's mm-hmm. all I knew. So I was there for a few years and I think it was getting progressively worse and that's when you know, my parents took the steps to, to move us to Brampton, and they did whatever research they needed to do to determine that that was a safe area for their four young children. And then, yeah, they, they made that move. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that they did. Whatever they, whatever research they stumbled upon, I'm re- really glad that they did because I felt like the school system was very different. I can't say Toronto versus Brampton, but the areas that I was in in these two uh, cities, it was just night and day literally night and day so for me wow. it's just a big part of my journey that's why i rep both toronto and brampton mm-hmm.
1: once you were in brampton and you um were you were you surrounded by a lot of of musical people and like school and stuff or or not so much like
2: um in brampton i feel like academic education became a big focus i wasn't surrounded by a bunch of musicians but Um, I was always surrounded by musicians in the house. So, like, that didn't change. Like, I took music lessons since the age of four. So even when I was still in Toronto, um, I was doing music lessons, which we would take in Scarborough. And every weekend we would go to Scarborough and, you know, every summer or every, I guess, spring, technically, we would do these competitions and win scholarships to continue to pay for more lessons. And it was just, like, a thing we would do. And so when I moved to Brampton, we still did that, but we stopped going to Garbro, and I'm sure that that had to do with the fact that we now had a home, and not some, like, you know, like, complex kind of government housing. I don't know if it was considered government housing, but it was definitely, like, shared property, you know, um, buildings attached to each other, that sort of thing, and this was a house. And so we had a house. I don't think we could afford to, like, do music classes anymore. It was kind of that type of evolution, and Mm -hmm. we'd won all the scholarships we could actually win, so there was no, like, reduction of the cost, and so after seven years, of singing lessons in Brampton. there was definitely a small void of the musical stuff, but the internet was a thing. And so I found this site called let'sbe.com and that's when I transitioned from uh, singing to starting to like focus on rapping. So I'd already been singing for a lot of time. I definitely joined the school choirs and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't I don't know like that's probably a money thing, but I wasn't in any of the school bands. so I didn't have any instruments. So I didn't learn how to like play anything yet. Um, but I was just using my voice. That was the only thing I knew, and choir was free. Uh, and then, yeah, once you got a computer, I started just falling into music, falling into hip-hop, which I wasn't listening to a lot of growing up because, again, mom and dad are just trying to protect our four daughters. And it's 1998, you know what I mean? Hip-hop's pretty aggressive right now. So mm-hmm. it just wasn't something that I was listening to uh, a lot of until I had access to finding it myself. And that was around grade 6. That's when I started I was Doing rap battles online, I would do them like uh, via my webcam mic, or I would do text battles. So like, you would write a certain amount of bars, and someone would accept the challenge on the site and write, you know, the same amount of bars back, and people would vote on it. And I remember this site, Let's dot com. My uh, rap name was Miss Grimy, but like M S Z, squiggly line G, like just ridiculousness. But I was doing so good on this site; I was like in the top ten, like of all these random like people all over the state it was really dope um it kind of gave me it kind of it was like a battle rap start without actually being in the battle rap scene because brampton did have a little bit of like a battle rap scene um that you see like tory 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 lanes and tech rhymes well toby now you know they used to battle outside the school and stuff like that i wasn't really in those circles because first of all this is before that time in grade six for me it's Mm. obviously way before the tory lane toby thing but also like as a female i grew up very not just as a female but as a female who grew up the way i just explained to you like i just grew up very sheltered so everything mm-hmm. i did musically was still kind of by myself so i started developing these skills online and i was battling these people but i was still in my house you know what i mean like i was still protected and you know I, I still wasn't necessarily super social i guess you could say uh mm-hmm. but i was definitely building the talent i kept building it up and building it up on this site and then when I got my first job at the age of 15, so that was about three years after I started rapping. That's when I got my first computer and I started producing um, and doing research and learning that using someone else's beat is copyright infringement and that you can't actually make money off of that. And uh. not that I was trying to make money, I just was trying to do things properly. Yeah. Um, based on what I was researching, I was just being told that you know if you do it like this, it's incorrect. So I was just trying to do things the way. I'm supposed to do things, you know what I mean? Yeah. It took many, many years, but I got really good at doing stuff the way I guess it's supposed to be done, and then it was after all of that, you know, all the way through high school. But at the end of it, I released my first project, and that's when I kind of started to, like, really learn the practice, because I'd already been practicing rapping, I'd been practicing singing, I'd practiced songwriting, I'd practiced production, and I put all of that practice into a body of work called No Studio, because I knew I didn't have money for a studio, so I just did everything yeah. at home, recorded myself um, Produced myself everything was all me and I learned so much in that process from like getting someone to do the artwork to like not putting it on iTunes or not knowing anything about distribution I learned a lot in that time frame and yeah like it just continued to grow after that I worked on a few more projects some people were involved with some some were back to the drawing board just me and a friend yeah it was just a bunch of learning every time I did a project I learned like a fun more things.
1: That's sick you you must stay come die you you must stay come die you must stay come die
0: you must stay come die you
3: you you must stay come die
0: Stay you must stay
3: It might be a phase, but I'm stoning. I might blaze in the morning. I'm driving a conversation with Charlemagne in the morning. I sometimes blaze when I'm horny. Make you say with me only. Mr. Smith, would you say with me? I'm a major league shorty. Don't bother tracing me poorly right for the wind still. Don't you know that I sit still? My dichotomy crazy. You probably couldn't sit still. I vibe with sway in the morning. Vibe is sway in the morning. <laughs> I'm amazing. Don't worry. I write my name for the story. Don't mind my language, bitch. I'm sorry Y'all as sacred as Marby I'm inflating my glory. Ain't no debate. I ain't sorry. Bitch, you hate me. I get it. You lame and maybe pathetic. My DNA is poetic. Hey, I mean it's genetics. I'm sacred, but they just catching up. Eliminate factors, but I always take the grant. Don't imitate a pastor, but i more than chase the facts. I'm sitting on this paper like I'm rolling with the bag. Perspective. I'm simply. No- no one had a rap, respect it. You hamster in this bowl, you just a rat, defective. I battle little boys and make a men. Remember the intro of many men? Respect is what I'm holding. and you should know I'ma stay strong. I rub the engine, all I know is go like a Veyron. And you must like the flavor, wanna lick on me? Yeah, baby, you must like the wave, you tryna swim on me. hey yeah.
0: Hey. You must
3: think I'm tired. No wonder you're so close,
0: oh. You must
3: think I'm fly. we spoken smoking in my whole song. You must think
0: I'm fly.
3: Got backwards for the low, low. You
0: must think I'm fly. Yeah, ayy, hey. Fish full of dollars. Punch lines kick ass like Chris Wallace. Stuff in pockets, they fat, we split wallets. Live lawless, uh, her lip glosses, my dick polish. Uh uh, new bounce, I never knew balance. Cashing a check, I like the new balance. Hey, watch, somehow I do balance it. Walking my shoes up in these new balances, Hey, A tight rope, raise the stakes. Raise hell till heaven is at its gate. These niggas and fake and nothing sacred. For heaven's sakes, I was ready to die, working gracious. God is gracious. Now it's stake with my side in my Main bitch. Yeah, I was lost in a maze. Now they shocked and amazed. It's amazing. Yeah. I know my fears are only mine. I know my fears are in my mind. I got no fears except for time. I took those fears and made them mine. I can't go back because I can't change that. Made some change, now I can't change back. Things felt strained, I had to change that. But when shit gets strange, you need your gang back. No
3: mistake, i No wonder. We smoking in my
0: own You must no, think, think I'm flying fly. Got backwards for the love You come fly You must think I'm You You must think no, I'm You You must think I'm
1: fly. You must think I'm Um... So uh thirteenth floor, I wanted to ask um how long did that that album take like from the very like or like very beginning of the idea to it being released
2: hmm uh, I remember like working on I remember working on a track called Wishy Washy, which is the third track on it. It's one of the bigger singles.
1: Yeah.
2: That was probably the first song that I worked on off of the whole album. Oh, um,
1: dope.
2: Yeah. And that one, it was with my coworker. He was new. He brought this beat in and he had like four words on it. And he was like, he was, it was, it's weird. He had taken the same program in college as me, but not at the same time. And he was the drum guy and I was the DJ person and our departments were like opposite each other. So like. But I didn't know him yet, and I was just getting to know him, and he showed me the production that he'd worked on, and he's one of the producers of Wishy Washy. He's the main producer of Wishy Washy. Um, he goes by Taboo, and I heard it, and he asked me, like, do you want to uh, feature on this track? And I, like, I didn't know him well enough, but I just had to be honest, and I was like, I hope I don't, like, push this dude away right now, but I was just like, honestly, bro, this track is so good that if <laughs> I can't have it, I don't want to. I don't want to touch it. Like, it's just too good to not. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like it had this reggae vibe and he, like, he can produce anything, but him as an artist is not as much like a reggae vibe. So I just didn't think it would make sense for me to, like, do a little feature part and then him to do the full, so I just felt like if this song is not executed literally perfect, it's going to get lost. And I didn't want to be a part of it getting lost. Like, I just didn't think it would be what it could be if the time and energy didn't go into it. And if the right face wasn't behind it, and if he could find somebody else or he may have killed it with somebody else, but I just felt like me featuring was like like I just yeah. I was like I was like, I need the record. I need like I want my, I want input on the record. I want <laughs> a verse on the record. I want to do that hook. I want yeah to, like he had four bars. I was like, I want to write more parts. I want because it was like a forty five second demo, right? He didn't finish it. Like yeah the, the the foundation and the structure was there. And I had already had a project called Flower City, and yeah. I think he had already heard it because he worked with me. I don't remember if it was out yet. I think it was. I think it was already out too. So he like he wanted to work with me and and he knew I was working on new stuff. and like this was basically the first idea that he presented to me as a real thing to work on. and I just I was just honest, like if he really pushed me to collaborate on it, maybe I would have did it, but I just knew I wanted the song. I was like, it sounds amazing. And like, I know that you're like, you're out there as a producer, but you're not out there as much as an artist, but I'm out there. I'm like, if you will let me, I will take the record now and I will work on it. And he was like, Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I don't even think he thought like to ask that. Like, I think that that's what he actually wanted was for me to take it, but he didn't know if I would take it. Cause he's like my best friend. He's one of my best friends now. Um yeah. So that's what he told me after the fact. He said I didn't even know that that you would take it. So I was like, I was like asking the other coworkers, like, do you think that she'll take it? Da, 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 da. So he was mm. like stoked when I was like, no, I want the track. Like, and he <laughs> he he really trusted me with it because that was the first one that I was working on, and uh, that was maybe like the end of 2017. We started that.
1: Okay. And
2: uh, I ended up taking it to L. A. with me. Uh, in February of 2018. And then that's when I got Toolman uh, from a tribe called Red to kind of get involved. And I felt like the track needed a few things. And just with the last, like this was like, I had five projects out. So I just kind of had a little bit of insight on like how to push a record to its extent. Like like the record was like 75% there in terms of production, but I felt mm-hmm. like it needed just a little more like, you know, the reggae, the reggae there was a part, like the pre-hook that I just felt needed a harder bass line. And I I didn't know how to do it because I do produce, but I just didn't, I didn't think it was for me to go in and do. I felt like another really experienced producer who's already kind of in that world could really make it what it was supposed to be. And Tool Man was definitely the person. Uh, He found found the pocket and he did a a few switch-ups. And then uh, to me, the song just sounded super cinematic at that point. And then, you know, I remember like kind of getting Spencer... Spencer's is his real name, but Taboo is his production name. Spencer and Tim. Tim is his real name, but Toolman is his production name. Mm. Kind of getting them linked up and even me feeling good about, you know, that connection being made. Like my friend who's extremely talented, he's now my friend. And, you know, this really well-known producer who's also extremely talented, and he was also my friend. And this not being about clout or anything and them kind of working together to make that record really strong for me. Um, and yeah, in the end, I was... Just really happy to be able to, like, pay him exactly what I knew his rate was. Like, as a friend, he's like, you will just take it. And I'm just like, no, like, you, I took this song from you so I could make it amazing. And so I could, you know what I mean? Take it as yeah. far as it could go, And that includes paying you for your input and your time and making sure that you get the credit you deserve. And, like, this is about a growth thing. And I'm just really happy that, like, he believed in me because we were able to do a lot with that song. We were both mm-hmm. not nearly as far as we are before like when that song first came to fruition he's gotten a lot of work off of that song Uh, other people have hit him up like wow i didn't know you could do this could you do this for me like (laughs) he's that type of dude like he can do he could do any type of production he's like really malleable he Mm -hmm. also can do the artist thing but uh in terms of like his clientele like people just come to him to curate whole records for him because he's that good and i was really grateful that he allowed me to do what i thought was necessary which was write my parts you know, make suggestions, involve other people, and, you know, like, just respect them along the way. So, mm. that was a long answer. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh...
1: Great.
3: Why you acting so wishy-washy? Empty in my pockets like a washing machine. Stop telling yourself to run back to me. Because we both know there's a nightmare, not a dream. You the real wishy-washy Cleaning on my pockets like a washing machine Stop telling yourself to run back to me Cause we both know it's a nightmare, not a dream I know you gon' disappear Cause even though you say you're in your own insincere All this time you probably didn't want me Like Lauren and the Fuji you should be killing softly So many times you telling me that you're really sorry But all I really hear is that you're where she was she, oh, where she was she, oh, where she was she, oh, where she was she, please make up your mind, oh, baby, can you make up your mind, your mind, your mind. Me no want you for calm me, me no want you for think me I got answer tall. Every time you say you I got come back. You left me with a negative impact. Cut from me a walking trophy. Me a boss, me a don. You don't no know me, mighty girl. You're real and show me, dirty boy. You're more than all me. You don't even, even really care. care. You're leaving it up in, in the, the air. air, and even though it's hard to bear, I and know no, you-, you don't. About to go, so you should probably buy a photo. I'm it. out the door, but yo, you got me by the hormones. I doubt you're feeling shit or worried that I hold though. Know that down the river where you surely finna roll, row. You silly poppy, yeah. always so wishy washy. Uh-huh. Bad as a diddy top me uh-huh. harder than a tsunami. Uh-huh. Still I dare you to rob me. Queen of kings, like I'm riding. to ting and you salty. Hey. You gon' win every loss, be? Uh-huh. I know you gon' disappear. Cause even though you say you're in You're only in here and I know All this time you probably didn't want me Like Lauren and the Fugees you be killing softly So many times you telling me that you're really sorry But all I really hear is that you're Wishy-washy yeah. oh. run back to me 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 telling yourself to run back to me to me no this a nightmare stop telling yourself to run back to me to me to me to me to me to me stop telling yourself to run back to me cuz we all know this a nightmare and i dream stop telling yourself to run back to me to me to me to me to me to me stop telling yourself to run back to me cuz we all know this a nightmare and i dream
2: you know, like just respect him along the way. So mm. that was a long answer, but um, yeah, was uh, great. I'd say that uh, was think- the first one. Actually, technically, the first first one was Ride, because Ride, I made a song called Ride. It went exa- almost exactly like that song goes. In 2015, I wrote it for my ex because he asked me to make a song for his birthday. And that was definitely a waste because we didn't last. Uh, but I ended up asking the uh, one of my one of my other go-to producers, he did all of Flower City with me. His name is Young Dredd. I sent him that old song. And I was like, there's something about this song I love, but obviously, like, you know, it was weak in ways, and he just reproduced it, kind of. And then Uh I went in and added a few things, and I rewrote the verses, but the hook is exactly the same. So technically, that one was reworked. But the first song that, like, we worked on, we didn't know we were doing a project or anything. That was definitely wishy-washy. So, yeah, I would say, like, about two, about almost two years, almost two years of, like, working on records for, for 13th Floor.
1: Wow that's awesome it's a it's a great record honestly uh I've listened to it like four times since it came out oh thank you that's a, it's it's sick um you you do address a lot of um political themes and topics all over the record i was i was curious if at some point in your life if you would ever considered um getting directly involved in politics, like running for a position in government at all? Yeah. You seem very you know, passionate about that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't think my political knowledge is very vast yet, um, but I do have an interest in certain things that I think if my world is different, and it's just started to change, I think if my world and my environment is different, I think my brain will gravitate towards different things. I think my... So similar to my beginning, my environment for a long time has been very stagnant. Uh, I've had my job that I just left for the past four years. And in between that and balancing my solo career and the sorority, there hasn't been a lot of time to think about anything else. But now that I'm doing music as a solo artist, I'm also doing the sorority thing. And I don't have a full-time job. Um, And I'm getting so many opportunities to travel off of my music. Like, I just Mm. got back from Europe for the first time ever um those sort of things make me start to think that i that i could consider that down the line i mean i definitely think it starts with education so something like even today i want to go to the library and grab a few books or at least charge my ipad that i use for nothing and buy some ebooks because like i don't know it's just like such a waste there's my ipad yeah. i'm gonna do that today <laughs> but I, I i'm really big on trying to like educate myself because i don't want to get involved in anything i don't know a lot about Sure. And I definitely don't know a lot about politics. Um, I know that I have an interest, but I don't. it's never been piqued because I've never had, I guess, the time to put into it or feel like I have the ability to really make change. Like, you hear a little bit about it, and then you can vote, you know, which I do that. But mm-hmm. that's kind of it, you know, and my, the people in my environment, like the people around me, are not also really into politics, you know. But I definitely, like, can get into something and then encourage the people around me to get into it. That's, like something I do um, Yeah. Like when I got into astrology for a little bit. Like, I get everybody around me into it because I start educating them. So I don't—I'm not worried about the people around me not kind of bringing it to me. I think it's just something I have to find on my own. Um, I don't know exactly what route—it it, it. could be some different level of activism as opposed to specifically running for a certain political position somewhere. Right. But it could also be that. I don't know. But I definitely— don't think that music is um, the be all and end all. I think it is the uh, vehicle for which I will be able to get involved in other things. Um, but I think it'll, I will I will always be a creative person. I will always be creating music. But I I think what music has been able to do for me thus far, which is mostly just to be able to quit my job to make more money than I've ever made working for somebody else. Um, and you know, to change some people's lives as they as they tell me, and to connect with people in that way. And most late, most recently would be to travel and to see other parts of the world that I've heard about for my entire life, and I've never had the opportunity to go. You know, Europe Europe is so expensive, and I mean, it was still expensive. Don't get me wrong, I lost a lot of money on that trip. <laughs> with that being said, it's. It's a game plan that we're, that we're starting right now. We're just starting to move into the States. We're just starting to move into Europe. And these are our first trips ever. So, of course, there will be money losing because we're not going for monetary gain. We're going for opportunity gain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had some festivals out there and getting my name out there, playing in, uh, playing in Holland and also playing in Brighton, UK, for me was just – I mean, those things make me think about – like, my brain just starts to think different. Like, music mm-hmm. can't be everything it can't be everything when these opportunities are coming. And this is just the beginning. So, yeah, like, I I don't know where I'll end up. Politics is an interesting one. Um, I'll probably look at some political books today at the library because you brought that up. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, like, I I mean, being that like politics is sort of new to me. You know, they say there's few things that you should talk about, like, publicly, like religion, politics. So I, I never really got into it. Because of mm-hmm. that reason, um, and just because of the time, like not mm-hmm. having the time, but I think uh, I think I'd have a keen interest, even if I wasn't, even if I discovered that I didn't want to be a part of it myself. That that I would, I would want to better understand it and understand the way that it works. You know, in Canada versus the States, for example, and you know, even beyond that, I want to learn more about history and geography in general. Like I didn't know, I didn't know that like just Europe, I just didn't understand, like you know what I mean, like I didn't yeah, know yeah. that we could just fly to Amsterdam from from London in that period of time, and like I didn't know that I didn't know the Dutch was the main language, like I just don't know anything, you know what I mean, like I just realized how like Canadian I am and like yeah. how closed minded I actually am, and like ignorance is bliss only if you let it be and I don't want to be ignorant I realize I am ignorant, but not by I technically it's it's not really by choice because who can really afford to do the things that I'm now getting the opportunity to do? I can't blame anybody that is unable to do what I'm doing because they don't do what I do Yeah. for not knowing what they don't know. But I always have the willingness to learn. And if music is going to allow me to do that, I mean, what I took from that trip, I had four great shows and or five great shows and we made some great communication. And, I, you know, some festivals we might get booked at in other places of the world. And I hope that that happens. But more than anything, it was kind of the perspective. Not that I actually had any perspective, but, like, I didn't have any specific ideology of what it would be like when I went. But I came back still surprised, you know. Uh, and I just feel like, I, yeah, I just feel like people that travel and people that have the opportunity to see the world, they live in a different scope. And I, like, I, I just feel like my scope has changed even after 11 days of being there. Um, and and not even just being in one place, but also traveling to four different places yeah. within Europe, you know, which is nowhere. Like there's so many mm-hmm. more places we could have gone. I didn't even realize how close everything was. I felt like I was missing out, not going to like Paris or Spain or. But that's not what we were there for. Um, but yeah, like just yeah, I just there's so much out there, and music. Uh, the cool thing is music can can live anywhere. Regardless of language, that barrier, that language barrier, it only it only sucks when you're looking for food and you can't read the menu <laughs> at, at some point. But it, when it comes to actually performing, that doesn't matter. Even if even if I'm racking very fast, which I do at times, um, and even if the audience maybe doesn't speak English first, so they might be missing a few of the words because you know it's just quick. You know when someone yeah. speaks a language, but if you get quick, so you can't catch it right away. I feel like that probably happened in Rotterdam to someone, or many people, but I never, like Rotterdam was crazy, like it was like trap music in Dutch, like it was no different except the language, like the vibes weren't different, the energy wasn't different, the production was was similar to the sort of stuff that we do over here in Canada, and uh, even in the States, because I mean it's all over the internet, we see what's out there, we see what's popularized and it transcends. It goes all the way over, like, all the way around the world. And so it's crazy that, like, the one thing that I chose to do with my life is the one thing that can, like, allow me to see places that are nothing like where I'm from, but I get mm-hmm. to do what I do exactly the way I do it in those regions. But like, there's many places you go in this world you can't dress the way you normally dress because you need to assimilate, you know, or you, you can't. There's a certain thing. But... Being a musician allows me to literally go as a body of mighty still learn that, like, I don't know anything. And I don't know. It's just the most amazing balance ever, the most amazing thing ever, because then you go with a, a level of comfort because you're going to do what you do. And that's what that's what I live, eat and breathe is music. So I'm going to do that. So I feel great about the fact that I'm going somewhere to do that and very confident in that. And then people sometimes, you know, because they meet you at the show or whatever, it's like you get a built-in tour guide. You know what I mean? Like you go to the show and the security guy tells you about the, the cool place to eat up the street. Like yeah. That's what happened everywhere we went because it's like you, you get to meet a built-in group of people who have some investment in you. And it's just, yeah, it's just a really cool balance. So I don't know where I'm going to end up or what I'm going to do next, but, you know, I have some shows coming up. I'm going to the States again. The States, you know, is not so much perspective changing always. Mm. I mean, in ways, yes, but like the States is very similar to Canada. Um, and I'm going to be going to Denver. But I look forward to, the, you know, the next opportunity where I go somewhere, like, even further away from my scope. Where the main language is not English. Where I have to, I have to ask people for help. Where I, you know what I mean? Where the customs are different. Where the gluten-free options mm. are difficult to find. Not that I look forward to that, but... It just makes you a different type of person like you you can figure out problems and find solutions quicker because you have to, and everything just doesn't feel handed to you and yeah, I don't know. I just really look forward to doing more of that.
1: That's dope. um I did want to ask uh, one more question before uh we wrap up here um this question's kind of uh very theoretical and not like something that people would have the answer to, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it, because I was curious, Um, and and you talk about it on on your album, um, like these topics of prejudice and oppression. Um, Do you think that there will be a time, whether within our lifetimes or or years down, um, that the world will be, like, at total peace and prejudice is just, like, not even a thing? Like, everybody's just – no one hates each other. Like, everybody's just cool all the time. Do you think that that's something we can realistically reach? Um,
2: I mean, when I went – when I traveled – I keep referencing this 11-day trip like it's so important, but it's just (laughs) – it's it's a good thing to reference because it's outside like it's it's outside of the walls I know of yeah. Canada. I've been a lot of places in Canada and you know you still get weird looks in some places the further the further out you go or or whatever. But I've never really felt like that's that's untrue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely feel that. I've been lucky enough to be able to move around. And even if I feel like people are thinking things, they're usually thinking it um, and not saying anything. And I have this i have this attitude of like, I don't care what anybody thinks, so I can brush stuff like that off a little bit better than I used to be able to. Um, but do I think that there will be a time when I mean that's that's even the simpler version, like just even the looks and the energy that's projected away. That's a a subtle version of what people actually experience, which might be the bricks being thrown in your window, and then we're being shouted, which you know would be maybe Mm. small change next to certain police brutalities, you know, and just like actual hate crimes, right? Um, Well, not to say that throwing a brick in your window is not a hate crime, but I'm just saying that there's levels to the type of oppression that exists mm-hmm. and that is shown and that we feel and my entire life I have felt that I have been reminded in most places that I'm in that I am black whether it's with a comment that's meant to hurt me or something where someone is trying to relate to me I'm always reminded that I'm black and I've, I've gotten better at the responses that I have, like I used to allow it to make me feel uncomfortable. But now, I I just will just ask the question, and the person with ignorance, will, they'll, they'll try to backtrack. Like, why? Like, I, like I had this girl asking me, like I didn't know that your foundation would be that dark. Back then, I didn't know what to say. You know, to mm-hmm. me, it's like that's first of all, it's very condescending. Yeah. And second of all, in response to that today, I would say, you didn't think that my foundation would be the color of my skin. Because that's what foundation is. It's literally what foundation is. That's a stupid, yeah. big, stupid ass statement. Like you're, you're trying to hurt somebody with that statement. Um, this is yeah. the same girl that said her boyfriend, who is white, can say the n-word because his black basketball friends say that he can. So it's like these sort of things, like are like I would say on a smaller scale to like you know bigger hate crimes. Mm. And I still think that none, neither of those two things will completely go away. The reason I think that neither of these things will completely go away is because. I am. I'm pretty careful as someone who's learned to adapt to many different environments. As someone who's been employed in Canada since I was 15, um, at, but as a dark-skinned female with dreads, I understand where I fit in. I understand where I don't. I understand what type of jobs I can get, and I know that those jobs don't include certain jobs like service because my hair doesn't work for the aesthetic. Or there's certain things. I just understand where I where I'm supposed to be and where I'm not supposed to be. So first mm-hmm. of all, like we can start with that. The fact that there's this quiet. This, this this quiet divide where skin tone can prevent you from being comfortable in certain places or for people to hire you to be in certain worlds. Okay, but outside of that, you recognize, you know, like, nobody has to necessarily stay. You, you know, it's going to be more difficult for you to get these jobs. You can just see it by going to these establishments and seeing no one look like you. Like, it's very, very clear.
3: Um, yeah and then
2: on top of that i know people that work in those fields and i know the things that are said and so that's one thing but then like for those areas that you do feel like you fit in because you've already taken a back seat to a certain number of things that someone in this world might want to do but you decide you know what i guess it's not for me now you adapt within the things that you think that you could fit in but you're still adapting so you're still trying to ensure that you're not too loud in certain settings or they're going to say you're too black or you know you don't want to be too ghetto you don't want to like too much hip-hop you don't want to You know, so then you might, you know, you might adapt and find that you like more things than people would think that you actually like. And then, like for me in college, that made me whitewashed because I like rap, but I also like rock. Now I'm Mm -hmm. whitewashed because I don't only like rap. So it's it's this constant thing. These are like smaller things. But even the people who are not outwardly going out of their way to hurt my feelings Mm -hmm. can still find a way to hurt my feelings because they don't understand me. They ask questions uh, in their lack of understanding. They don't think about them not understanding me as a human, and the way that they ask those questions could be hurtful to me for a long time. They don't think about that. I think a lot of people who don't understand other people are, are, you know, the majority of North America is white. So let's say 78% of the people here, men and women, are white. They don't really know maybe what it feels like to not be understood. Because mm. white people are on TV a lot, so you know the culture and the customs are made apparent to everyone all over the world, even outside of North America. So it 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 might be difficult for for them to uh, to understand that what they're doing is creating a divide by asking these stupid ass questions. Uh, and I know a difference between a stupid question and a genuine question. Mm. Uh, it's just very rarely genuine, very rarely for an actual learning purpose. Sometimes it's like you feel like you're being fetishized. Sometimes you feel like it's a purposeful divide. And very few times you feel like you're actually educating. And that's what I try to do with my music. Uh, When I decide to touch on race and stuff like that, I try to touch on it in a way where it allows people to feel in their quiet solitude of their home or their car, hmm, I maybe have been ignorant about this thing Mm. and rethink it. You don't have to answer to anybody. You don't have to get into a discussion or argument. You can just listen to the record and hopefully... You know, maybe you'll realize you're a great person and you've been doing great things and you should just keep it up. But, like, sometimes some of the things I speak on, I would hope that people would recognize, oh, like I said, that thing that one time, I shouldn't do that next time. And that's it. That's that's what I want, you know. But do I think that that's going to actually happen for every single person everywhere in the world? Uh, I no, (laughs) Not in my (sighs) lifetime. I don't actually think in my lifetime that we'll actually see that, like, not exist at all. I do yeah. think that we can minimize it. I think that what I try to do when I decide to speak on those topics is working towards minimizing it 100 percent. That's what I want. And. Uh...
3: My stats? Prison is a gold mine camp with no buybacks. Nigga, it's a wizard in the system holding all my blacks. It started in 1640. Shackles around my ankles. Melanin meant that I can't go to schools or read because who's going to serve my master? Also, the pastor described all my people last. The sheep who exist to upkeep the land. We feed the economy, creep all the crops, but then feed on it modestly, consciously knowing you're lesser than. And lighter skin means that you're better now. So you in the house taking whips and probably dick, cause well, you a fetish now. Meanwhile, I'm grateful for all that I'm giving. I'm picking this cotton in rhythm. I pray for a lot of the living. Escaping is probably a sin. And if God ever finds out that I want my freedom, well, damn, then God's gonna call in the rap. Two horses with opposite maps. Those nooses, they up in the trees and I'm hanging, but I'll never fall like my pants. Then came the 13th Amendment, written in 1865. It says slavery is over. Accepted, pay for doing crime And then the things that they made illegal Are things you associate with people Who now education isn't equal And they ain't getting paid enough to eat So we stealing and jugging and shit We need to be fully equipped The system, the new slave master Brought in to stop us and bullying shit Cause before we were stealing and jugging The laws we was breaking was loitering We go to the bend and we can't pay to find out The jail is who your employer is This voyage is super intentional you used to be students in medical the moors and indigenous blacks were the smartest and honestly truest professionals literally teaching you about chemicals my history isn't viewed on a pedestal try to tell me only few of my ancestors had anything to offer if we wasn't strong you would never bother if we wasn't awesome you never put all of your resources in just to get to conquer if we ain't a problem then but white is the light and sometimes master blesses you for being a good slave and kills you off if you a bad one so black mothers tell their daughters fuck the master and they tell their sons they can't run mama raised the girls independent and she raised the boys out of fear these days black women represent in the struggle that these black boys trying to clear man we have so much work to do My adaptability and the fact that I grew up
2: the way that I did is why I choose to create my music the way that I do. It's not difficult for me to, like, write with the intent for black and white and Asian and Indian people to, like, listen to it and have this... Like, I know my intention going into it. When I was younger, I've written songs that I thought were too aggressive because of the way I said th- certain things I wanted to say. And so, you know, even my parents would be like, one might get you in trouble? This and that, blah, blah, blah. So I've learned over time, not only just with creating music, but just with all the jobs I've had, with working around, you know, mostly people that don't look like me. I've worked with people that told me my significant other is racist. Like, all sorts of things. Like, I'm I'm constantly reminded that I am different. So when I create music, like, I don't feel any way. I used to feel like I don't want to talk about my differences in my music because Mm I, you know, maybe it creates more of a divide or maybe it will alienate people from wanting to hear my music. And I've come to a position where it's like, listen, this is me. And anybody that's listening to the record knows that this is me. doesn't matter what they look like. They know exactly... My face is the album cover. So there's no, you know, disparity on, like, me sharing my own stories. but I do it with a certain intention and it's for positivity for all. It's not just, you know, for Black people to feel triumphant and, and for other people to feel confused. Like, that's not the intention. Um, the intention is for Black people to feel pride and for, you know, young Black women to feel pride and for other people to understand maybe why we feel we like, why it's necessary for me to do this type of music, why it needs to be, why black people need to be reminded that there's something to be prideful of. You know, our, our history, our lineage, a lot has come through it for us to, you know, not necessarily be able to connect with not only ourselves, but other people that look like us. We have the light skin, dark skin battles. We have the casting system now, and we have, you know, a lot of disparity between black people. So I don't, I don't even only speak on, you know, like, racial things, that involve many different races. I also speak on just like race between Black people and what we need to see when we look at each other. So I know what my intentions are, um, but I think the reason that I do that in my music is because I don't, I don't see it changing as much as it should be, and I just hope to be a part of that shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a lot of changes, uh, even for me to feel comfortable enough to create music that I do in the way that I do. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't before. And that's like not that long ago, like 2011, 2012, 2013. I never thought I would be able to have a career being honest. I thought that I would have to find another route. Maybe, you know, like maybe I'd have to, you know, maybe when I get older, I will be more sexy and I can do that more. Like, I don't know what I, like just all these different things that I thought, but I never thought it would be me being my true, 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 truest self that's the last thing that i thought. and so definitely with that being my reality, changes have been made. some changes have been made. it might be more specific to the entertainment world which is an illusion and not necessarily the real world. and i think sometimes i'm also trying to find the, that gap to bridge uh, because i may be seen as great in this world but you know, if you remove the rapping title, i'm just i'm just a black person with nappy hair you know what i'm saying so i try to remember too what my position is and what it is i'm being rewarded for i'm making music i'm still a musician and that is why i am open to moving into other realms uh, because i want to ensure that that positivity continues and not just in one facet um i i think you know oppression mainly comes from like a lack of understanding and um, and with that lack of understanding comes actions from the people who don't understand to, I guess, kind of sometimes dismiss. That's what 13th Floor is based on. It's based on the concept of dismissing our marginalization the same way we dismiss the 13th Floor because we are told it's a bad number and that it means bad things. And so the same way that we're told that, and all of North America seemingly understands that, all of North America knows the negative things that are said about people that look like me. And a lot of those narratives are also dismissed. So the person that looks like me, has very little voice, but the people that don't look like me can determine what people that look like me are, what we represent, what we do, how we act. Um, And so 13th Floor is literally based on that exact concept. That's where the title came from. Um, Mm. And so it's just kind of like less dismissed narratives and more true stories being told, please. That's what I'm hoping for. And we are seeing a bit of that as a shift. I can't imagine a world where no one just because of the amount of, like, times I felt uncomfortable being in my skin uh, growing up, I just can't imagine a world where where that won't exist. Um, But, uh, you know, and I can't imagine, you know, that everywhere in the world is going to be able to receive the same counter for that. You know what I mean? I can create a song, and it might do really well, and... It might make 50,000 people in North America change their mind about how they feel about something, but that might not transcend to. It might not transcend to Africa. It might not transcend to, you know what I mean? Certain parts mm-hmm. of the world, and also me realizing how big the world is. I mean, I don't even know how deep this goes. I don't know if, you know, when you go to other regions, you're gonna you're gonna find oppression in other ways. You're gonna find other people oppressing other people. You know, it Mm -hmm. could be their own people or colorism issues that exist outside of North America and outside of Africa. We have colorism issues in India. The Catholic system in India. You know what I mean? So, like, does what I'm doing resonate in that market? I don't know if it would. I don't know if it could. So that's why I say I can't imagine a world where oppression would completely be gone. Um, It's just so embedded in our society and what we do and what we know. But I, one of my main purposes is 100% to actively work against, uh, work against it and towards somebody that's more like, I would assume, me and you. Like I like to learn about other people's cultures. I like to get to know other people. I don't go anywhere. I'm resilient and I'm strong and I'm happy about my blackness. I don't go anywhere thinking that because I'm black, I'm better than anybody. And I think if we could get to a place and position where people were proud to be who they are but not believing that by being who they are, they are better than others. I think Mm. that might be the root of the oppression.
1: This has been 393 for 101.5 UMFM. My name is Joshua Wattman. Avaya Mighty, thank you so much for uh, for talking to me, for doing this.
2: Thank you, and I really appreciate it. It was a really insightful conversation, and you had some deep questions in there. So I think I'll be thinking about that politics question all day. So thank you.
1: Awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, I think that's a wrap.
2: Oh.